Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. The Square Ball Podcast. Hello, welcome to episode 167 of the Square Ball Podcast. 10% off your legal fees when you mention the Square Ball when you inquire with Levi Solicitors. Head to levisolicitors.co.uk forward slash the Square Ball. Also brought to you in association with The Athletic. You can sign up now at theathletic.co.uk and use Leeds Pod for a 40% discount. I'm Dan Moylan. With me is Michael Normanson. Hello. And Moscow White's Daniel Chapman. Hello. We are currently between issues of the magazine at the minute. Number five was Sheffield Wednesday. Number six will be out for Bristol. You can guarantee both by getting a half-season sub on our website. All the remaining issues delivered to your house. And of course, we've got loads of cool clothes and mugs and stuff like that on the website at thesquareball.net. Well, a couple of games have happened in the last week. I mean, Millwall feels like it happened six months ago now because there's been a lot of water under the bridge. Ah, the positivity of Millwall. Yeah. Um, I mean, we're, we're sort of two and a half days on now from... Wigan, how are you feeling now in terms of the cycle of disappointment, grieving and all that kind of thing? I was starting to feel a little bit better and then I made the mistake of watching the highlights again for this. Why did you do that? And I just felt full of regret again. It's like, why can't someone, just Jack, Jackie, just kick it into the fucking goal, please. It's right in front of you. Mm. We've never been good at football ever. That's Leeds United's problem at the moment. Yeah, I've kind of, uh, I've had a couple of days where I had enough. I grew weary of Leeds United. I didn't get angry on Saturday. I just I felt weary with that one. But then first hints of oh god, I love Bielsa. Crept back in last night. I think I'm okay. I'm, I've reset a little bit now. I'm ready to go again. I think it's the uh, the toughness of the the second half, watching it, knowing that we weren't going to score. So it, it wasn't like a a shock late goal that defeated us. It was a, there was a good half hour of real soggy misery it was oh, we're doing this again then are we yeah and we're just gonna have to sit and watch it and you couldn't like magically conjure up big kev onto the bench you couldn't just change the team sheet and make him be there and you couldn't transmit the brain waves into marcelo bielsa's head that made him go oh, pervader come here go on so there's that feeling of uh of powerlessness as well which isn't helpful I mean I tried to offer something resembling mitigation for that goal of Wiggins going in on Saturday you were daft to do do, it I just you just want to believe the best in these guys except when it's Kiko where we might have to accept that he's a daft racist if it means getting a proper goalkeeper but no that was terrible I mean straight after the game we had the replay which was someone filming a stream of it I think so it was was blurry footage from a phone and just from the one angle the highlights from Quest showed it from behind the goal from a slightly different angle as well and on every single angle just get to that ball just believe yeah. it. as a goalkeeper as well you can start if people are in your way you can just shove them out of the way that's what you can do as a goalkeeper or you can clatter into them and, fall over and lay down I think the deflection took it closer to him I think it would have been harder for him to get that ball if it hadn't been deflected I think he actually 
clipped it and it was dropping I think you're right, into you know. his hands. Because but for some reason he's just wafted a, a little paw at it. Well, because everybody whips the corners in now, don't they? That seems to be the, the thing that everybody does. They whip the ball in and actually Pablo's deflection took it high looping in the air and probably gave him a good five or ten minutes there to <laughs> figure out where it was going. And it just, well, well, the net is the answer. Well, that's the thing. He sort of, he did figure out where it was going and he he sort of wafted his hand at it and just didn't bother touching it. That was the problem. He just, he completely misjudged it, didn't he? He completely misjudged it. Step, stepped forward, flapped his arms a bit, a bit and then it just sailed in the net behind him. I mean, I can handle mistakes, like players make mistakes, but you'd think um, a goalkeeper with his pedigree would be able to catch that. In recent weeks, it does seem that more or less everything on target goes in, mm. which isn't good enough. I mean, the stats, I mean, stats, bear, the stats bear it out. We're well. moving into um, my goalkeeping section of the coaching course, but stop it going in the net. That's what I'd say. I mean, when you're a goalkeeper, that is basically your job. And the, the benefit of being a goalkeeper is as well, unlike an outfield player, you can use all of your body, including your hands. I mean, he's getting into Bailey Peacock-Farrell territory when um, when Marcelo basically finally decided it's like no I'm going to have to put Jamal Blackman in so I can only imagine Kiko is on the phone now if he's if he's not got Raul Bravo's number he's on to Bailey about whoever it was that broke Blackman's leg do you know anyone got some under 23's games <laughs> go on someone just leave a, leave a leg in because it's got to be close to that because there wasn't only the um, the cross or the corner that he conceded there was one where he, he had that mix up with Liam Cooper as well that they got away with and the numbers we do still somehow magically have the second best defense in the league, which I think speaks to how good it was earlier in the season. But it's just starting to ship too many, and I would have the spider and goal. Mm. It's hard not to come to that conclusion, particularly when I know a lot of people tuned into the under 23s, which we're going to come on to in a bit, regards to Jean Kevin and seeing his distribution in that game. He's good. and he's he just he just looks. Assure, more assured in general. I don't feel like he's going to do something mental. And our faith in, um, although it's not necessarily representative of somebody's overall game, he saves a lot of penalties. And that says to me that he's quite good at goalkeeping. Because penalties are really hard to save. But often you'll hear the reports from the 23s and you'll hear the highlights and it's like, oh, he's he's diving all the way across his, his goal to stop a penalty that's going into the corner. Mm. I was like, that's, that's good. So if he can do that, I think he can do other things. I think with Kassir as well, it's reached... Slightly the same point it has with Bamford, whereby it would do him good to be out of the team for a bit because mm. if he comes for a cross and misses it in the first minute of the next game, the crowd are going to go, oh, fucking hell, Kiko. Whereas if Meslier does it, people will be like, all right, just give him time, let him settle. <laughs> Although it's going to be fine. I remember, um, was it Willie Huffer that came in for yeah. a game last year when Peacock Farrell was out? And um, I think he didn't quite take the first cross or something as well as he could have done and he heard the entire crowd going oh another one bloody hell <laughs> alright no no be, be nice be nice there was just that moment of like oh here we go so he, he won't necessarily be uh, immune to it but he has built up that bank of credit against Arsenal when he looked really good and everybody saw that on the television if they weren't there so there is a problem with Kiko because he is earning a fortune and is you know he's a Real Madrid players come from the Champions League or listen so dropping him for a, a 21 year old or however old Meslier is is a is a bold step but um, it's one of you know we talk about Bielsa's principles one of them is loyalty so he wants to stick with the same players and and uh, say it's my fault that you're you're not performing 
the way you should. But one of his other principles is that if you are in the group of 18 that I name on a match day, you're all basically, that is the first 11. It's what we've spoke about before on here when he had the big argument with Jose Luis Chilavert when he said that, right, the 20-year-old reserve goalkeeper has just as much right to be in the team as you and you're an experienced international who's played at World Cups and Chilavert hated this and went home for days and it was a massive um, South American-wide scandal. So he maybe needs to bring that back and just remind Isir, he's like, Meslier is not here just to watch you fuck up every week. He can actually play. And if he's in the uh, if he's in the 18, he's there to uh, to have your place. And just have the... the, the just do it. Just, <laughs> just drop him, play the spider at Forest, and let's see what happens. It was interesting. Spiders love trees. It was interesting to see Bielsa's reaction in the post-match there saying it's difficult to be a keeper in our side however I reserve the right to watch the replay before I decide who's to mm. blame the answer is Kiko Casilla yes hope somebody asks him again on Thursday have you seen it now yeah it was he'll um, blame himself you know he will <laughs> let's talk about Patrick Bamford I'm worried about Patrick Bamford he'll be alright in many ways he's, he's, earning a, he's earning a small fortune that's um, not money he's, you know he'll be alright for, for doing what he's doing I mean Tuesday a week ago he's, he's covering his ears mm. um, which I think People have, in a way, kind of misinterpreted the significance of that. He's saying, well, he's getting sticks, so he's got the right to reply. It's like, yeah, but it, it doesn't really help when you then go on to miss three yeah. guilt edge chances and then shoot backwards, and, you know, in the next game. If you've, if you've scored 30 goals and, and you're, you're getting stick, then you can probably stick two fingers up. But he's been out of form. He can't finish. <laughs> it's very true. I mean, if Alan Clark had chosen to do this at some point, having scored loads of important goals for Leeds... Maybe fair point if you've had a bit of a dry run and you've you've proven yourself otherwise. Bamford's never really had... He's not got enough credit in the bank to be doing this sort of shit. And he's, the stats still show that he is missing a huge amount of chances. He missed a load of chances in that game in which he scored two goals in the first half of it. I was, I was cursing him and saying he'd never score again. And then amazingly, he did once we decided to put it straight onto his foot stroke head an interim goal he, he all of a sudden could score I mean that, that Wigan game there was a guy close to me who was laughing at him like I got just you know like every time he missed like outwardly laughing I mean theatrically so as well but mm. laughing at him and that's kind of the point we've got to it's like oh well that's not surprises it that's another hilarious Bamford miss I don't think he is getting stick either there's a, there's a real distinction here between the stuff he gets on social media and the stuff he, he's getting in the stadium in the stadium it's overwhelmingly positive there's people obviously when he misses there's a lot of people going ah fucking hell but that's just to be accepted that's what yeah. happens that's what's always happened in football stadiums I don't believe that there's some golden era when strikers would miss chances and the crowd would go oh good effort lovely well done for kicking it right over the goal from a yard away but then I um, I took my little lad you know as we mentioned on the match ball and last week and stuff it was his first game on, on Saturday so we, we got there early and got parked or whatever and had a walk around the ground saw the team bus arrive and the only player who didn't acknowledge anybody was Patrick Bamford and you wonder if he's maybe in a headspace where it's it's got to him and he's rattled. I do I do wonder. He was just he was head down, headphones in, straight on. You know, because they, they park the bus at the end of the um, end of the block and then they let them walk. They're sort of you know thirty yards or whatever. Bielsa it is. hands out the lollies. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so so they're all giving out high fives and Bielsa does that kind of bemused grin. Um, but Bamford just he was tunnel vision. He didn't high five anyone, whereas the rest of them did. It just needs to if he is being affected by the stuff on online, just stop looking at it. I feel like Twitter is admittedly a less fun extension of like pub chat where people would have sat there years ago and gone, Castlebank was crap today. Why is Rod Wallace missing so many chances? But they wouldn't have heard that. But now that discussion's going on somewhere they can see it. 
they can tune in and I've, and everyone else can tune in and go, oh, look at all this. It's, isn't it awful that we're slagging off the place? Do you know I don't think this is anything different that has, than has always no, happened. You're right, but do you know what it's done? I was thinking about this over the over the last sort of two two days or thereabouts, is that what Twitter has done, it's blurred the boundaries of contact where you used to have the club that existed in a bubble and you'd have the fans that existed in a bubble. And there was it was very rare there was overlap apart from within the stadium. Mm. But now you've got players on there trying to be matey or even doing the corporate thing through managed accounts or whatever and you've blurred the boundaries of accessibility and the players are more exposed to it now and and, and I just I think there needs to be a clear line between who's saying what to whom and it, it just feels which is why I feel the same about Radrizani as well I think he's far too prone to it and he shouldn't be just step away from it and ignore it or in fact get off it and like when, we, when he responds to stuff it's not what he's saying it's the fact that he's saying it and you know that it's going to piss 50% of the people off. And then 50% of people are going to say, well, he's got the right to do that. And then you see a load of arguments spiral out of it. And it's just, it's wearisome. Just get off it all. I think Grayson probably had it right. Yeah, there's the problem with um, with Twitter is it's where the conversation has moved. So the pub conversation is now much broader and much more, many more people join in. And it happens online, which is a bit of a shame because now all the pubs are closing. And that's fine. I think it's absolutely fine. There's a lot of, people trying to shut down any discussion of anything that any of our players do if it's not positive, which I don't think is correct. You can have a conversation about Pat Bamford missing loads of chances and whether you think like his gestures to the crowd are, are valid or not, and that's all up for discussion, and that's absolutely fine. What the problem is is when somebody comes along and then adds Pat Bamford and goes like, are you reading all this, you Yeah. And that's that's the... That's um, the blood boundary. Yeah. yeah, and that's that's where if people... Just and there is like a there's a there's a rush of people after every game who will it's not joining in on a conversation it's just adding a player and then just a stream of pointless invective which I think a lot of it is not even anybody trying to make a point about the football it's just I have the ability to slag off somebody famous so I'm just going to do it so it's like at Pat Bamford wanker mm. great. I mean, that doesn't help anybody. If there is a conversation going on, if you've got a lot of people on the LUFC hashtag going, I think Pat Bamford's a wanker and I think he should score more goals and I think he should fuck off. I don't have a problem with any of that. I think football fans are well within their right to have that conversation. It's that different thing. But Pat Bamford and footballers in general need to be aware that that's what Twitter is now, that it is it is what people are expressing those opinions. And much as you would not have gone into a pub full of Leeds fans after missing a load of chances in a in a game and expecting to be um, everybody, oh, come on, Paddy lad, we'll get you a drink. You were fantastic today, mate. No, you'd have the same thing. Loads of people telling you to your face that you were shit. Um, so you just wouldn't go in. It's it, All Twitter is. So it's, don't go on. It's it's the ongoing psychodrama, isn't it? And none more so at any other club than Leeds, yeah. who are currently we're stuck in this existential crisis until we get promoted. So everything that goes wrong is going to fuel this kind of, It's an outpouring of anxiety. It's not meant to be directed at Bamford. And the thing with... But the, it is. The thing with old Bambo and his, uh, his ear covering is... And I don't know what it meant. Like, he's, he's not good enough at body language. It doesn't appear to be his... his uh, he's not fluent in it to be able to get his point across. Nobody knows what it's... So half the people think he was cupping his ears, half people think he was covering his ears, some people think it was because of what was in the stadium, some people think it was about social media. Then he did the interview with LUTV when they said, oh, you, you must be happy to get that goal today. And he's like, uh, oh, well, yeah, there's a lot I could say about that, but I'm just not gonna... Like, well, don't do that either. Don't... This vagueness creates this debate about what does Pamford mean? What, what's, he, what's he trying to say? It's like communicating with a 
puppy? Like, does it want feeding? Does it want a drink? Does it want to go outside for a shit? Nobody knows what Bamford wants. Nobody knows what his problem is with any of this. So at least Chris Wood, when he scored that overhead kick against Fulham, and then uh, incidentally didn't score for a couple of games after that, he went straight back <laughs> to how he was, ran to the crowd, cupped his ear, said, are you, are you slugging me off now? And then celebrated the goal. And everyone's like, Right. No, we know what that was about because we have been... He did get to the point where he was being cheered when he was substituted and um, people were laughing openly when he was missing goals and stuff and telling him to get off the pitch. So there was a toxic atmosphere in the stadium and you knew what it was all about. With this, you've got a stadium full of people who were singing Pat Bamford's name and him doing something that nobody really understands what it was. And it's like Radrizzani responding to people on Twitter that then it's it goes in, uh, it just fuels them more arguments about what that means and should he do it or what it was all about. That's it with with Bamford. He might be covering his ears, but all he's done is create more noise that then means that we're sitting here again talking about what Bamford does with his ears when really the problem is what he does with his feet. I think Billy Painter did the best, had the best response to this when he scored against Preston and he did like a a sort of a fake mopping of the brow, like few... That's out of the way, sort of, sort of gesture, and that was fine because that was because the crowd were they were always sort of nice to Painter, but they were taking the piss. It was if Billy scores were on the pitch, all the come on Billy, come on come Billy on stuff. Billy. It was taking the piss of him, and he must and, have and he must have known that. But then he also had the decency to think, yeah, I haven't scored in twenty games or whatever. And when he did score, he did a. Phew, what if it feeds into the character as well? Because come on, Billy, he was quite lucky with that chant in a way, in that it was even if it, some people were fucking hell come on Billy it had that atmosphere of pleasantness to it where everyone was like you know come on Billy and he seemed to enjoy it like he's like okay like they're annoyed I'm not scoring but they're not you know being horrible to me at least I can I can do this and it's there was just a nice atmosphere about it I don't think Pat Bamford would appreciate come on Paddy I don't think he'd take kindly to it as a song the way that Billy Painter did and so you've just got to accept that some players have different characters and and Bamford does seem as we've seen it over his his career to take these things and and sort of act them out on the pitch you watch it there's a very good video that a guy who I think it's called Jed something he wrote a book about uh, Bielsa's coaching philosophies and he's done a video he's got hold of tactical camera footage from the uh, do you want to have you got something to ding from the gantry it's a camera up there rather than me this time. It's the gantry um, gong, everybody. And, uh, and it's we're showing, like a bonkers breakfast show. It's showing um, Leeds United's movement and the triggers and when they pass and all this sort of stuff. And you can see Bamford's movement on there and you can see how good it is when he's, he's leading the line and making these runs. But you can also see that when he makes a run and the pass doesn't come through him, he does this big kind of stroppy like, oh, I can't believe you're not passing me the ball. I'm going to have to run over here again now. And then the ball's like, oh, come on, boys. And he he does this in every game and it's it's something in his, his character where he doesn't, he gets frustrated and he acts it out and he doesn't hide that. I'm sure, I mean, Chris Wood, it was quite surprising when he did that ear cupping thing because he's got such a, a, it looks like his face is just like a, an unadorned, plank of plywood and then suddenly he's got this character but I'm sure he inside if he made a run and uh, Liam Bridcourt hasn't pinged a, a through ball to him he would have been said oh fuck you know Liam I can't be there. but you wouldn't see him do it he's got right no Liam's not passed I need to make another run because the ball's there now whereas there's just this there's this little kind it's of it's a physical expression of it isn't it yeah, yeah. dramatic and, yeah, yeah, and yeah. so that carries through that it's and it's not a surprise that he does these things when he, he scores goals and he says these things in interviews because he's obviously that's just his his character and I 
I did say after the the Millwall game in my my match report on the the square ball was that it's a little bit like you accept the way that you know Alioski bites Pablo Hernandez for for no reason and um, Matt Click goes and uh, he he's more of a he has fun you know I mean that miss was terrible against Millwall but then he's out at Thor Parks the next day doing an Instagram story about trying to find the ball and he you know he does graffiti and listens to Polish rap and he's got these weird quirks and you know Berardi is a psychopath with an interest in photographing the stars at night they are one of the things I like about Leeds is that they are all quite weird and Bamford this is his his weird quirk and I'm kind of I'm prepared to put up with it like uh, I can accept it in that context of like all right Alioski bites people Bamford acts like a spoiled brat that's just who they are that's how they are and it these could be the 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 bunch of quirky weirdos that get us into the Premier League and then I won't care about whether he covered his ears whether he stuck his thumb in his mouth whether he whether he started hula hooping on the pitch with his middle fingers in the air <laughs> One thing we do know though is that uh, within the club there is a kind of a I don't know if frustration is the right word maybe but a frustration at the, the, the heights of anxiety and the, the psychodrama that keeps playing out every time Leeds drop points I think there's a general lack of understanding or appreciation within the club for for why that is. And I think we know that they wish it was different mm. um, and there was more understanding like around the January transfer window and just the general feelings surrounding the club. And you wonder if maybe that's almost like the corporate tone that filters down through the club, if that makes sense. And, and where maybe you think if somebody sat them all down and said, look, this anxiety is because we want to succeed. Mm. It's not because we don't like you or we don't appreciate your effort. It's just because there is so much at stake and it's an accumulation over a decade and a half now. Well, we needed to turn around. Bamford isn't just Bamford. Bamford is Billy Payer, he's Steve Morrison, he's Mirko Antonucci, he's Suleiman Dakara. He's all the players we've had in that position who haven't done it, that we've had to watch, that he has no idea who any of them are and he had no involvement in any of this, but he's the the culmination of it all and now it just, it falls on his shoulders and that's part of playing for Leeds United and... um, I think it is unfortunate as well that the, the the period that we're in does then add that social media toxicity to to it all. That but then there's a there's a there's an easy choice about that of just you know the first five hundred people who are going to be in your Twitter mentions after a game if you've had a bad one, just don't listen to those people because they don't mean you well. Mm. Then they're not there to be nice to you, and so just ignore that that part. Don't sit and go through all that and learn about these reasons for the anxiety and concentrate on the opinions of people who may be equally um, upset with you, but are perhaps coming from a a better place that is not just lashing out uh, before 5pm. Anything before 5pm, Twitter needs like some kind of filter so that a a footballer can just delete anything that's within 15 minutes of full time because it's never going to be good. Yeah, I'd, I'd switch it all off until May. But anyway, to return to the football side of things, we are still inexplicably, we're still second. And I think it's easy to forget that we're not in a dissimilar position to where we were last year as long as when we, turn... we did mess it up. <laughs> no, but we did mess it up last year, but as we said before, we don't we're not forced to repeat that. Doesn't, we... doesn't it feel like two minutes ago that we were thirteen points clear and now we're ten points clear of ninth? But... We do still have other mysterious statistics. Like for all the fact that Bamford can't score a goal and, and none of our other players are, are chipping in to help him. We're still the the fourth highest scorers in the division, and QPR are only above us because they had those two mental games um, against Cardiff and Swansea, where they scored eleven in two matches. So otherwise, we're the third highest scorers in the league. But I think one of those was in the cup. 
Well, they probably <laughs> added it to him, so it's cheating. Um, either way, all right, so we're third, fourth highest scorers in the league, which is a good place to be, and second best defence, which is also a good place to be, and second in the league. Loads of people, like the thing with uh, with Bamford and his XG and how he'd be better than Harry Kane and Ronaldo plugged together if he scored all the chances. Well, it's not about XG, it's about the league table. All right, let's look at the league table. We're second, yeah. it's all right. And you can't look at the league table in isolation and out of context, but we are still second and there is still a three-point gap to third. Inexplicably, despite everything, despite how bad we've been, we're still there. The form table is horrible, but form changes. That's the whole point of a form table. If you are moving house, and who could blame you for selling all your earthly possessions and moving as far away from Ellen Road as is humanly possible at the minute, uh, then you will need a specialist conveyancing team who have vast experience, and you know who we're talking about. Everybody's favourite solicitors, Levi solicitors. They will update you in plain English, completely transparent on fees, and they cover all sorts of areas of law as well, including personal and commercial services. You can get an instant conveyancing quote on the website, and there's 10% to knock off that number as well. Because you are coming through us, mention the square ball, and you get 10% off your legal fees. LeviSolicitors.co.uk forward slash the square ball. And then obviously once you've realised that you can't run away from your problems because you're always present and you carry them with you and then you decide to move back and enjoy it all again, then you know who to get in touch with as well. Well, Michael, you took commitment to Leeds United to new heights yesterday. You went to Hillsborough to watch the under-23s. I did. And how was that? Well, it was nice to begin with because I thought, I was waiting for them to announce the team because I'd looked on Google Maps. Was like, right, it's about forty-five minute drive. As long as they announce the team by sort of twelve, I'll be able to get there for kickoff. About seven minutes past, the team was out. Big Kev's in the team. Jumped straight in the car. Are you? Uh, were you there to watch Leeds United? Or were you there to watch just like a player? Just a you, player. You turncoats, <laughs> non-fanatic. Two players actually. Because Pervader was on the bench, and I knew he'd, I knew he'd be coming on. You so. should have been there. Whoever was playing. Well, I wanted to see them because I'm, Leeds. I'm fully accepting. I'm not going to see them in the first team at any point soon. And if I'm, we're going to have a strong opinion on whether or not they should be in the first team, probably helps to see them. What is your opinion, having are seen you, them? Are you suggesting that we need to start having informed opinions on this <laughs> podcast because we it served us quite well so far? Not bothering. Well, possibly. I mean, I could have watched it on Twitter because I know the full game was on there, but I wanted to. I wanted to keep an eye on, on Kev through the whole game. I didn't, want to, I didn't want to have to follow the camera. I wanted to just watch Kev. Oh, well, I was tip-tapping away on my computer doing stuff with my phone, with the game on Twitter, just sat next to me. So I was just glancing back and forward to it. And then I had that moment where that you witnessed in Glorious Technicolor where I glanced sideways and saw a player on the ground and realised it was big Kev. And I went, oh, no. <laughs> it was, it's strange because watching a Leeds game where you don't really care about the result is a bit of an odd feeling. Again, how dare you? Well, you know, I mean, obviously you're, you're wanting him to win, but when Sheffield Wednesday scored, it was very much like, ah, oh well. And when we got a last-minute equaliser, I didn't, you know, start shaking people about and <laughs> hugging, falling, hugging falling, strangers. falling down rows of seats for anything. I wanted your limbs video. <laughs> <laughs> so it felt it felt nice and relaxing. I was like, oh, this is just football I can just watch and, and kind of half enjoy. And then... Um, Big Kev went down injured and I was like, oh no, all of a sudden I do care. I care an awful lot about this. Um, he wasn't brilliant, in all honesty. There's no dressing it up. He looked a bit off the pace, maybe. It was, it was hard though, because part of the reason we wanted him on the, t- the pitch on Saturday was just so he could be stood in the box when the ball came across it and he could kick it into the net. Mm. And we didn't do any of that in the reserves. He didn't have any chances in the box. There weren't crosses flying in. There weren't loads of cutbacks going on. He had one chance from a through ball, which he, he took the shot on quite early, as we've we've seen him doing on the, a lot of the YouTube videos. And it was a decent shot. I think it was probably just about going wide. But Foster decent save out the keeper. And from that angle, it's probably about as much as you'd expect from him. 
and did shoot across the keeper, whereas Bamford always goes near post, and unless you've got a south stand, isn't it normally? Well, yeah, unless you've got Casir in net, but um, front post doesn't tend to go in. But he did look potentially because we've become accustomed to seeing our emaciated players. But he did look a bit on the chunkier side than, than the majority of them. Did he actually look fat though, or was it just that by comparison with the rest of the sort of prisoner of war vibes? That yeah, you know, I think you're so used to seeing him gone. He certainly didn't look any fatter than you know Paddy Kenny, Primera Hasselbank, for example, or certainly a lot thinner than Billy Painter used to look when he had his um, the cleavage on show at the the new kit launch that year. Uh, I don't know. He looked all right. I wish I had better news. Do you, do you, mean, do you think? Do you think he gets anything out of 45 minutes in the reserves? Uh, an injury. Well, apart from that, I mean, no, but I mean, like, would he, I mean, let's, like I'm saying, uh, to play devil's advocate, would he have got more out of 20 minutes at Ellen Road on Saturday versus 45 minutes plodding around at Hillsborough getting injured and playing with a bunch of kids? You do wonder. I think it's... Uh, I, you can do both. Yeah, I did see, obviously, the the usual reaction of, like, why are we risking him in the under-23? It's like, well, why risk him in the first team? If we don't want a player to get injured, never play them. And leave those roller skates in the box. Yep, and ne- never never let them do anything because they could be injured doing absolutely anything. Um, they'll scuff and they'll start to wear out with your roller skates if you wear them. Yeah, so I, I don't think that's... And, and, you know, looking at his his condition, which isn't terrible, it's not a, no, it's a big not, deal. No, it's, it's not laughable or anything. No, he just, he, he needs... I'd love to, be, to look, uh, I'd love to look that fat. <laughs> he needs to be running around the pitch and he needs to be getting some... Uh, they always talk about minutes in his legs and all that stuff. They're, they're kind of cliches, but it is true. And even if it is an under-23s match with some kids, it's practice. And, that, you know, whatever whatever you are doing, you get better at it by practicing. And so even if... And they do... They, they give people these things to do in the under-23s, don't they? So it might be, all right, look, in midfield, we've got a couple of children and they're probably not going to be able to get the through balls to you that you're perhaps used to from Monaco and Leipzig, but just make the runs anyway. Your job for today is to spend 45 minutes making the runs, getting the, doing the movements, learning muscle memory is, uh, is what a lot, a lot of it's about. And then I think everybody acknowledges that the real, the real deal at Leeds is murder ball on Wednesday. And that's when, he, that's when he has to pass the test. And I think anything that sort of gets him used to what we do because the under-23s play the, the same way. And, and um, I think it was, I think Ben Parker on his commentary was making the the point of like, you could see he's, he's trying to learn the movements of like when to go and, and what the triggers are. So if he's got the ball there, I have to do this run. So it doesn't, any practice at that will stand him in, in good stead. And, and we do need him fit soon. And the risk of that is the, the way to do it is to work him as hard as possible so he gets as fit as possible and hopefully is ready for Forrest. Is he going to be ready for Forrest, Michael, or is he now dead? <laughs> he did look very limpy, but the, the club have assured everyone that he is fine and he's going to train. Well, that photo of the first 45 minutes under the belt, waist up only. <laughs> no images of foot, foots in casts off you know he'll be out in the light in a boots in a big boot like Kemal Roof was yeah I think it's hard I mean it's typical it's just misfortune if that tackle had happened on 30 minutes we'd have more information to go on because he might have come back on and been absolutely fine or they might have subbed him off and everybody would be like oh this this could be bad but because it was 10 seconds before half time yeah and 
I do believe them that he was due to be subbed at half-time because that is the sort of thing they do in the under-23s. It's not a lie that the first-team yeah. players play a half and then go off or come on for a second half as Berardi and, and little Shaq and Perveda did. And I thought uh, Shackleton looked very good. In the second half, he was probably the best player on the pitch, I, w- I would have said. I was trying to watch Perveda a little bit more because obviously he's he's new. A new shiny toy? I thought it was good. Perveda, he looks lively. I can see that he might do a bit of the Pablo stuff for us, mm. a bit maybe this season, and hopefully moving moving into the next season as well. He can do some of that. He, he starts wide and moves in, seems to move in a lot, waiting for other players to run along either side of him. A bit like Tyler Roberts does as well. Does a lot of the sort of pivoting and twisting and turning stuff. I enjoyed on the commentaries as well for that. Um, and it's no, I'm not having a go at Penny, but he was saying, uh, and uh, Pervader is swapped wings with Liam McCarron. That just shows the uh, the flexibility of him that he can switch. Because you're like, well, Liam McCarron swapped wings as well. You know, bless him. No credit to that whatsoever. <laughs> oh. Maybe he just went on the other wing and sat down. Can't do anything over here. I think that's just an oversight because, uh, like Michael, Ben was uh, giddy about the new boy and ignoring no, ignoring all the old toys. Pervader didn't look quite as small as I expected either. The stuff about him being five foot five and, and really slight. I don't know, he didn't, he didn't stand out as being like an actual midget. Did you expect a hobbit? Little, I did, really. Hobbit. Or, or, and, or someone who looks really easy to knock off the ball, and he didn't look... He looked equipped for it. I think the uh, the Little Ian and Big Kev nicknames are probably both misapplied. Cause, yeah, there's about three uh, inches between them, yeah, probably. exactly, but that is, that is now what they are. And Meslier obviously reinforces his first-team credentials simply by not doing a catastrophic fuck-up. Yeah, just play him. Just give him a go. Yeah. Because we can sign him at the end of the season as well, and... If we're going to do that, we need to have a proper look at him before we do. So just play him. Uh, or do we just lobby the FA and just just ban him? Yeah, Make the decision we, we, for we, us. We've withdrawn our appeal. <laughs> I mean, that's... I did see someone on, on Wacko suggesting someone just photoshops Kiko in blackface and sends it to the FA. Oh, God. There's maybe... That. I mean, we should say as well for the record, we're not making light of racism and the, and no. the potential charge, of course. We're not. We are laughing at the whole point of his fault. Although it is laughable how long it's taking them to investigate. Yeah, it, it is. It's maybe a... I mean, yeah, we, we're not laughing at it, but what are the FA doing with this? It's very one-dimensional. It's a serious charge, for fuck's sake. And it's not like they're having to go through no. a string of emails and uncover evidence. They're not having to wait for raids at his home to, to uncover new evidence. It's all there. It's yeah. just in what people have said. So why are they still taking forever over this so you say he's guilty and he should sit out at least three months yes yes I think maybe one reason why they're now getting in the realms of conspiracy but I'm wondering like if they dropped Kiko and Meslier came in and he was rubbish and Kiko came back in and then got banned and then we're all like oh no Meslier's coming back again so <laughs> maybe there's some sense in just waiting until the ban kicks in and then Meslier and we're just like cool and then we know if it's a 12 game ban or whatever it is which how many games are there left 16 something like that yeah. but there's two things to this and we will let's pause on it one the FA it's all about taking racism in football seriously don't let this drag for months get the fucking thing investigated because it's a serious charge and let's find out and let's do something about it and either punish him or if he's done something or not punish him if he's not but don't just sit around and I mean we've been how many Investigations. Just get it resolved. Have we been through yeah. since that that started? And then, um, and then the other thing is, well, mind, but you watch like Vera doing an investigation, you know, on ITV. <laughs> Whether she gets it knocked off in an hour, doesn't she? Know, this then, has been dragging on for months. The other thing is that the season's nearly over. We might get to the end of the season happy to have been promoted, and then have to discover that we've done it all with a racist in the team, which would ruin it slightly as well. Mm. I would rather, we, as we said at the time, if he's found guilty of this, I have no problem with us just saying just 
fucking sack him. Even if he was the best goalkeeper in the world. Just get rid of him. Thankfully he's not. And we said that, we did say that in fairness, we did say that at the time when he was actually doing all right. It's hard, I mean, it was that long ago, I don't fucking remember. Uh, speaking of the FA as well, Victor Orta and James Mooney have been charged by the FA, which I don't think we're speaking out of turn by discussing this and what they've, they've alleged to have done because they've admitted the charges. Mm-hmm. As we understand it, Orta frog-marched down to the tunnel and started ranting at the referee in the tunnel, didn't he, when uh, at half-time versus Millwall? Yes, and I think there was some separate ranting from uh, James Mooney, who's the head of communications and media. I don't know if people are as familiar with him as they are with... Uh, with Victor, but... Um, Holding an iPad, showing footage of what the referee had got wrong. Was he? Apparently so. Um, and that's why they have been charged. And they've admitted the charges, so... Um, Leeds Live, interestingly, did an interview with Victor Alter ahead of this game. I think it might have been on a Friday and said, we saw how emotional you are in the documentary. How have you found that over the last few weeks? It's been a difficult period. I'm improving, says Victor Alter. <laughs> like, it was it was after the game, was but it, it, was, it was the morning when he had been charged. <laughs> <laughs> that's improving, is it? Yes. Chatting down to the referee's room with an iPad. And this is all while Radford Zani's tweeting upstairs as well. So he was putting his tweet out about the ref. So everybody was very irate. They do possibly need to keep a lid on things like that. I like the passion. I, I like Victor Orta smashing up a, a TV screen when we score against Brentford and all that kind of stuff I think is is cool. And I like that he, he feels it. A bit like Twitter, this is the problem of technology, though, that you can... Well, big you screen it, TVs, you just got to kick them in. <laughs> but you saw it with, with Hernandez as well, with the, the corner that should have been. He was able to turn around yeah. and point the referee at a screen and go, look how wrong you've got this. Just look at it, please. Just look at what you've done. And there were some uh, suggestions from um, the Millwall end that there should have been something done about that because we were replaying a controversial incident on it, the screen. But that's the point. I was going to say you're not supposed to replay controversial yeah. That wasn't controversial, was it? Shouldn't it shouldn't have been. It was a shot and a save. Yes, and so I think that would be why uh, there isn't a charge on that one, why everyone's going, no, that's, don't be silly about that. The person doing the replay probably assumed they could just queue it up on the basis that it was going to be a corner, because it very obviously was. Yeah. But you, uh, I mean, I suppose you wonder if it was, have you seen the clip of um, Mourinho at the weekend when he realised Sterling's yes. not been given yeah. a yellow card? And the way he runs at that fourth official, I think there's a... there's an argument for just straight red for that, because he can't be running at a... Whatever you think of the officials and the referees you can't be sprinting to get into their face from 20 yards and then eh, I don't know and then if you're, it's Darren England and then you're, oh, you're wearing a, an armband that says like, hashtag respect and all this kind of stuff um, they're forced to wear that though they don't actually they don't actually then, mean it but then the other side of it is is that Mourinho and his assistant are actually involved in the game whereas the director of football and the, the head of media are by uh, necessity sitting in the director's box and I think if you're up, don't be, don't be getting into the tunnel. It's maybe not the place. They need some uh, stress balls up there, some rubber stress balls or something. That fix it all, would it? Or, or like a like a, a dummy of a referee in uh, in one of the executive suites that they can just go in and shout at that. Something that they can take the tension out on that means that they don't actually go and get in trouble for shouting at an actual referee. We'll say that if I'm we painting do... I'm painting this, by the way. We'll say that if we do actually manage to go up this season, it's going to be Victor Auto on the pitch, isn't it, shirtless this time, not Andy Hughes. He's going to be absolutely insane, that boy. He's going to love it, isn't he? I think he might still be prowling the low fields in his pants days after. <laughs> 
<laughs> hugging strangers and things. Prowling the low fields, I like that as an idea. Just to wrap up some other stuff from the transfer window, it, it, all that excitement over JKA, we never mentioned that Eunan O'Kane has left and gone back to Luton. He's been hanging around there for a while, I think, but we are picking up some of his wages by the sounds of it. Yeah, he's on. he's gone on an arrangement, an 18-month an eighteen month loan, which I'm not sure under the rules whether you can actually just do that. So they've had to come up with this arrangement. It's all quite weird. Is it a humanist thing? I don't want to be loaned. Well, people, are, people are not property. I mean, it's fine. Like, he's gone back to, to Luton. I think that's that's a surprisingly good move for him because we're in the championship. He was, for, he was at Luton for three games. And that's what is weird. So their manager, Graham Jones, about this move said, Union's uh, got a real strong feeling for the club and I love that about him because sometimes you either get a club, this is Luton, or you don't. And he's really got this club... Luton Town and bought into it he said to me that he felt at home immediately when he was here last season although it was only his third game in that he broke his leg against Bristol Rovers the attachment and connection to the people here has never really left him which is a big plus and then the weirdest thing about this is to find out that when Luton got promoted last season he was in their dressing room on the final day of the season to celebrate the turncoat bastard <laughs> so it is it does strike me as quite odd I mean I have some sympathy with Union or Kane because I don't think he was ever as bad um, he never, I mean, I suppose it's personal. We all have our, our personal bet noirs. I, I really disliked Liam Bridcut because I thought it was unnecessary for him to play on the goalkeeper's feet. If you're a midfielder, middle of the field, not the six-yard box, not our six-yard box. Union O'Kane, I was thought, was fairly just mild. He was very bland, wasn't he? He was very bland. But, yeah, Magnolia paint. But he had a little bit of, uh, when he first turned up, it was like that Adam Forshaw thing. Like, oh, he can pass the ball. Fucking hell. It's like, whoa, he's, that one went forward. So he was... He was we've, we've given you Lewis Cook for this. It's he, fine. He was quite exciting for a while. And I remember seeing him when I was up at Thorpe Arch at end of last March, which is a, a good six months or seven months after he'd broken his leg, and he was still limping around. And also he'd grown his hair out. He looked like Cat Weasel. He had like really long, curly hair, which didn't suggest to me that he was in a, you know, if you're, if you're not washing and you're, you're broken leg, you're still limping on it months later. And even now, so that's 14, 15 months since he actually broke his leg, and he's still not fit to play. That's part of the thing with uh, Loon. So that, he, I mean, I dread to think how much that hurt. Quite a lot is what I'm guessing. I think it hurt quite a lot. So I have some sympathy for Unum, but then finding out that he was in the dressing room at Luton to celebrate their League One. I guess, though, when you've been... Uh, was he wearing his Leeds United blazer? Well, no, I think once you've been ostracised from a club, in the, I guess that way that yeah. he's kind of been left to his own devices to, or in the rehab room at Ellen Road, you're kind of away from it. And you, I guess the players are going to want that camaraderie, aren't they? Just feel a sense of belonging somewhere. He's only played three games. One gonna... of them he broke his leg and was off so well, two and a half games I was just going to say it wasn't going to happen at Leeds I imagine it? he was probably you talk about being ostracised at, at Leeds going in the dressing room they're like who, who, who's this little this guy from the spin doctors here <laughs> right uh, we're doing a bit on Leeds versus Bayern Munich the, the Legends match has been penciled in for the international break hasn't it end of March we're going to do more on that in this week's Extra Ball our other podcast but very quickly then what, what do we make of this happy with the opponent seems slightly odd and I'm the thing is I was I, my initial reaction was oh that's a bit Seems a bit controversial. Then I heard the reactions of some people who remember us playing Bayern Munich in the European Cup final, and they're absolutely livid about it and think we shouldn't we shouldn't be encouraging them, and they should be scum and banished and never played ever again. Well, this is what's confusing me, and what we're going to talk about in the extra ball because we played them in 1992 at Elland Road, and it wasn't a legends match; it was a first team friendly. We had their current first team against our current first team, and there was a bit in the the papers about you know they interviewed 
some of the old players said, oh, you know, it's bad what happened in 1975. But there was certainly none of this stuff where people are talking about boycotting and saying that they should um, never darken our door again. I do think, it, yeah, it's heightened. And it doesn't help that the, the club's own publicity about it was like, this is the first time that Leeds have faced them. Well, it's not. 1992, actual, like, first, not a messing about first team friendly. It was our, we were going for the first division title and we played that team mm. against their current first team at Elland Road. And it was fine. The sky didn't fall in. We didn't have to burn the stadium down and sow the ground with salt just to rid it of the, the Bayern stain. I, mean, it, I went to Bayern Munich and I enjoyed it. Yeah. I still didn't like the fact they've stolen one of our trophies, but even still I had a jolly nice time and I got drunk. And there's two ways of looking at it from the centenary point of view. Is Either it is a, a weird, uh, disrespectful match to pick for a centenary game or it's actually quite cheeky. Like of all the teams to pick, let's have the one that we have possibly the most massive problem with is kind of a... Yeah, there's, there's, I'm ambivalent about that. I'm not sure the club are necessarily that clever. I think what it basically comes down to is that Bayern Munich have a legends team and they're available. Yeah. So it, it's easy. Instead of trying to book like a team of players from around the world separately and put them into a World Eleven like the, the Radaby one, it's just like, oh, well, they've actually got a team that goes around and plays. Do you know what I hope they do? I hope they bring that European Cup with them and they show it off to us uh, on the pitch and like flaunt it in front of us and then we invade that pitch and take it off them I mean that's one thing it does do is there is the uh, there's the, the chance of an actual atmosphere at this which is gives it a little bit more of an edge over the average uh, will they be bringing away fans I'm just trying to think if there's potentially going to be crowd trouble at a, well, that's a celebratory charity game that's I will the, say the, Bay- the Bayern fans they wear a lot of denim there's a lot of denim that's the weird thing sleeveless as well. denim a lot of it as well sleeveless it's, it's not Bayern Munich the team we played in 1992 were Bayern Munich this is as much Bayern Munich as the you know the Leeds Masters team that plays in those six aside tournaments in Sheffield where it's Tony O'Dowd in goal and Darren Huckabee turns up and if, if ever there was a time for Michael Brown to redeem himself in the eyes of Leeds United that's fans, worse than this is it than uh, Munich being invited Michael Brown being invited that and David Weatherall's name being spelt wrong in the uh, the announcement are two things that uh, will not stand as far as I'm concerned but yeah I've no interest in Michael Brown coming to this I hope he I hope he stays away. <laughs> I thought you could say something a lot worse. Than. No, I hope somebody just has a quiet word and says, Michael, you hated all the Leeds fans here <laughs> and they hated you. Just don't, don't bother. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. 
If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. So the end of season promotion party will be happening regardless of how much we wobble and how much we try and throw this one in the bin. Eden J. Harris, have a look for him on Twitter. He's the guy who's tracking the booze baton for us, the location of the end of season promotion party. Why just do it in Leeds? Why not take it on tour? So it started in Leeds at the start of the season. The first team to beat us was Stoke, so they took it and then it passes from team to team like that. Liverpool still in possession of it, having beaten West Ham and then Southampton. It's Shrewsbury in the FA Cup replay. So this could be a real, I think this is the real potential interesting turn is this one when it goes maybe to Shropshire. This is well. Liverpool had it earlier in the season, and they let it slip when they played the children against Aston Villa. So it temporarily went to Birmingham, and then they've managed to win it back. And now there's they're putting it on the line again against Shrewsbury, and then that takes us into League One territory, which is Christ knows where it ends up after that. I mean, their next games are well. If, if Liverpool do hold on to it, they go to Norwich and then Atletico Madrid which I'd be perfectly fine with. If it ended up in Spain, that'd be lovely if we could watch it getting passed around different sunny destinations. Could end up at Bilbao and then we have a nice uh, Bielsa derby, don't we? That'd be perfect. But it it could also end up um, in Accrington. And I'm not, (laughs) I'm not 100% sure, but I'm not even sure there will be nightclubs in Accrington. I've not looked any up yet. We'll, we'll see where it ends up. We'll make our own. <laughs> That's what we'll do. If it's in Accrington, we'll create our own party. If you do know of any nightclubs in Accrington, they're any good, get in touch. 2012, we last played Shrewsbury Town. In the League Cup first round, we won 4-0. Becchio, Varney, Norris and McCormack. Did Juve play in that? With the goals. Um, he came on for Ross McCormack. I think it might have been Juve's debut. Yeah, sounds about right. Then Polion came on for Paul Green and Michael Brown came on for Luke Varney. Jesus. Dark times. As we mentioned before, if you want to hear more from us and get behind us too, then you might want to check out the Extra Ball podcast as well. We bring you not one, but two extra podcasts a week these days. We're playing Championship Manager 0102 in one of them to right the wrongs of the Ridsdale era. And in the other this week, we are doing a show and tell. We're answering your questions, doing the Bayern Munich thing. And we are playing our new quiz, which currently has the title Jamie McMastermind. But we are open to more suggestions on that. There's also a prize mug up for grabs uh, every week too. So you can sign up and enjoy your first month free. Thesquareball.net forward slash the extra ball. I mean, I don't know why we even prefaced this by saying it's a huge game this week, uh, this weekend coming up. 16 cup finals. They are, and the sooner we learn how to play in cup finals, the better it will be. For- 16 playoff finals. Uh, yeah, let's hope it's only 16 games. After uh, the dramas of, of this last seven days at Ellen Road, it'll probably be nice to be A, away from home, and B, facing a team that is likely to at least come and try and attack us. Yeah, because they don't let you drink in the stadium if you're inside of the football pitch. So They and, did it by Munich, funnily enough, and I enjoyed that aspect of it. Yeah, I think it would be helpful for everybody. Yeah, I think the thing with um, Forrest and Brentford is that they are both sort of the, the danger teams, but they're never the danger team at the same time. And in, at the moment, it's Fulham a third, aren't they? Yeah. So the one thing that is consistent about what's going on is we are consistently top two and every week we're worrying about a different team catching us up. And that says to me that the teams that are trying to catch us up are shitter than we are. Brentford were that team a few weeks ago, weren't they? Yeah, now the fifth. And then they lost to Forest. And yeah. But then they beat Hull again this weekend and everyone's saying, oh, look how, look how good Brentford are. But yeah, then- but Hull have given up. They have, really. They're, they're not even pretending anymore, are they? You know, Sheffield Wednesday were tickling the playoffs a while ago. Now they're 11th, and they are seven points behind Bristol. And then they've got a lot more points to take off that. Did you enjoy the uh, 
the Chancery Stadium experience, by the way. It was all right. I've never seen it from that angle before. It's um, John Newsom was there. That was nice. Mm-hmm. That was that was about the most positive thing I could and say. It's only John Pearson. Didn't spot him. He sometimes does some uh, corporate stuff at, at Sheffield Wednesday. Did, do they do corporate hospitality for the reserve games? <laughs> if they'd known he was coming. There was someone I thought might have been Steve Morrison, who I was eyeing suspiciously all game, but from he had the profile view was exactly the same, but then he saw his full face. He is apparently now at Cardiff. Apparently he's coaching their under 23s because he he moved to Northampton, wasn't it? Yeah, as a player. No, he moved to Shrewsbury at the start of the season as a player, gave that a month, decided he didn't fancy it, went to Northampton because he said, oh no, it's my my old club and they've given me an opportunity to be a coach. And now somehow he's already at Cardiff because he's a disloyal twat. <laughs> Anyway, he was Nottingham, very loyal to his wages at Leeds. Nottingham it? Forest. I think we'll win this. This is this is exactly the sort of daft game where we go and win when we're all panicking and we think it's all falling apart again. Um, if I was to tell you they've scored eleven goals from set pieces this season, how yeah. would that make you feel? Fine. Okay. Absolutely fine. If, if I, I'm to say by the weekend they will have scored thirteen goals from set pieces, <laughs> now nah, we'll go there and win. You reckon? Yeah, I think Augustine makes the bench. We have a bounce from that. I think Paddy might steal a goal just to give two fingers back up to us. It'll all, it'll all just add into that soup, the soup of Leeds United, yeah. Yeah, but was it um, Bielsa who, or was it somebody else I was reading that pointed out uh, about Kiko Garcia catching the ball under pressure at the end of the Millwall game, like that really good corner that he took and then and then that happens against the Wigan. So maybe this will be, he'll be back on it for this game. He'll be good again in this one. I think... Uh, I think Big Kev will be on the bench. I think he'll do the Perfader needed 10 days. Big Kev will have had 10 days and they've had the under-23s. He'll have had his second murder ball. So he'll be, you know, hopefully at least close enough for the bench and that'll give everybody just that little bit more of like, yeah. If he's not there, it's kind of, this was what I based... Hang on a second. Just stick a pin in that. Mm. I've just spotted something very pertinent from your research here, Moscow. You do ins- uh, insist on leaning on whoscored.com, whereas we think it's it's well, gem- generally not. You say leaning, I say standing on the shoulders of giants. <laughs> Weaknesses, defending against through ball attacks. You know what JKA likes to get on the end of, don't you? Yeah. Sorry, go on, anyway. Um, I've completely lost my train. Oh, yeah, the, the Tusterman report after the, the Wigan game was that we. it would have been nice just to have... Bielsa, just to relax his rules slightly because of the impact it would have on the crowd of like, okay, we, we get it. And uh, and I think it's true. Players have to, you have to conform to what Bielsa wants because it's it's a it's a matter of fairness that the 11 players on the pitch have all had to do this. So you can't just come waltzing in and be like, ah, I'm not going to, I'm not going to do any of this exercise stuff. Just put me in the team because that creates disharmony and one of the things people talk about with the O'Leary era is when um, Robbie Fowler turned up and started giving it the big I am and it was kind of it, it, it hadn't been like that at Leeds up until that point and he kind of came from outside and and caused trouble so they've all said Leon has fitted in very well so we need Big Kev has to do what everybody else has done so everybody is starting for a position of fairness but the, the other side to that is is to remember that the crowd are part of this as well and the difference it would have made to us to just have Big Kev on the bench. And I think it's more for this game that if he's not on the bench, the deflation that we'll all feel looking at the team sheet and seeing he's not even gone. I mean, there's an element as well. If he plays the under-23s game on Friday night and we see him in that and know he's not going to be playing the next day, then it's going to be 
especially because it's half past five kickoffs. So that's a full 20 hours of grief on Twitter. So just to avoid all that, I think Bielsa just needs to kind of just have that little, mate, don't even bring him on if he's not ready, but just say, right, just sit on the bench to keep everybody calm and manage that aspect of the football club You're an option well. if we need it. Yeah, but also you're a tubby bastard. So you're not <laughs> you're not getting anywhere near my fucking football team. I'm sure Bielsa puts it in in more uh, generous. No, he probably doesn't. Apparently they're all shit scared of being weighed in every day, aren't they? So that's probably what it's like. But I, yeah, I think we need his his. Uh, his presence just to give everybody that, um, not even to give everybody a lift, just to stop everybody from descending into just anger. I'm going to make a bold prediction now and you're going to call me an idiot and you'd be right to call me an idiot. These two games, Forest away, Brentford away, four points from these, if not six. You know what you are, Dan? I mean, I know. I'm just, believe within myself that at some point we turn this around. I think we can beat Forest. They weren't very good at Ellen Road, were they? they no. was, this was one of the games when we had that little run of them at the start of the year when we were absolutely battering teams for the full 90 minutes. In fact, we're still on that run now. Battering teams for 90 minutes and being unable to score. And they their equaliser in this was particularly scruffy. I think it was a foul and a handball from a mm. corner, wasn't it? So shouldn't have counted. So we should, we should actually be further clear than we are of Forest. It does feel vital, though, these games, because it's kind of we're playing... Forest, who are four points behind us, playing Brentford, who are five points behind us, and you start thinking, and then you play Bristol, who are five points behind us, and you start looking at this run of three games, you think, God, they could all, at the end of this run of three games, they could all be ahead of us. We'll beat Forest, we'll beat Bristol. Brentford, uh, I mean, we never win there. Pontus Janssen will be up for in their defence, and they'll just have all these weird plays that they've scouted off Bet365, and nobody knows who they are. I was looking at Brentford. Do you know when we did last win there? Go on. 26th of August, 1950. <laughs> I mean, so, we've, not, we've admittedly not played them an awful lot. No. But our last results there, are, obviously the, none of these are, are in our favour. 2-0-3-1-2-0-1-1-2-0-0-0. And whoscored.com says their weaknesses are avoiding offside and aerial duels. And then I won't bother listing all their strengths, but it's not like they've only got two. Um they're very strong at counter-attacks and defending set pieces. So Very strong at football. Yeah, I think that's that's basically the uh, the message from them. So Brentford worry me. But Forest uh, Forest are a myth, aren't they? They've got um they've got the spoonerist Sol Bamber in goal, B Samba. I don't know who he is. And yeah, grabbing and that's it. I mean Lolly's their kind of attacking dribbling player, but every time I see him, I've I'm get frustrated because I think he's left from memory I think he's left footed but plays on the right mm. and constantly just comes in field and he's absolutely useless if you just show him outside it's all we need to do because he's a bit like Bamford in that he will he will not do anything good with his right foot so just let him yeah. use it all game Alioski will have him licked literally <laughs> lolly you see yes, um, yes. and in every sense yeah. can you be sent off for licking somebody I suppose it's ungentlemanly conduct isn't we'll, it? we will find out before the end of the season as well as doing this podcast in the first half of the week, we do a weekly show with Phil Hay uh, as part of our partnership with The Athletic. Search for The Phil Hay Show in your podcast player. It's totally free. One of 20 that The Athletic are doing is The Phil Hay Show. Catch up with Phil's writing on The Athletic. Go to theathletic.co.uk forward slash leads pod and you can subscribe right now with 40% off. Heroes and villains from this week then, boys. What we got? Ken Bates. Yes, the Villainy Awards up first, uh, named in Ken Bates' honour. What's, what's Ken doing? Oh, any of the Kens? 
Well, Wyoming Kent, I mean, his Facebook page goes from strength to strength. When we first mentioned it, he had 132 likes. Last week, 211. This week, he's over 400. And his every post now is being littered with Leeds fans asking him about building hotels and Susanna um, and selling our best players, etc., etc. I feel like we've, we've unleashed something here. We have a little bit, yes. But he also seems like... Not that nice a fellow. No. <laughs> so I'm not that bothered. Why? What is it about him you don't like personally? Well, I don't know. He's The header image is a worry to me where it says something about where regulation grows, freedoms mm. die or something. Eagles and freedom and... That, it's that yeah. sort of imagery uh, always worries me. And then this week he's he's put a link on there because there's Casper was voted there's some sort of diversity score thing that goes on and Casper's pretty much as low as it gets. So to try and sort it out, they've the vote council voted in favour of an LGBTQ advisory committee and Ken in favour of it. Ken the councilman, councilman Ken, Ken is not in so favour of Do you want to hear from actual Councilman Ken? Yeah. Council voting 6-3 to three in favour of moving forward on an LGBTQ advisory committee, but opposition says creating it opens the doors to more special interest boards. That really opens up the possibility of anything in town uh, that people have one creative group, whether it's pets, whether it's the bicycling pedestrian. Councilman Bates instead voting for a broad human resource advisory committee, contesting that with exception to the city's disability council, members of other niche communities can make their voices heard. Any LGBT, any uh, person of race, any person of religion can come right down to the podium and express their feelings of what they want to see council move to. The first person of race, I think, is, I think, aren't we all a person of race, one way or another? I feel like we're possibly straying into territory we should avoid here. Anyway, that's Councilman Ken. Leave the race stuff to Kiko Casilla, hey? <laughs> a bicycling pedestrian was an interesting... It does all seem, his, yes, he's setting that up where he'd rather have a board that he can ignore, isn't it? I know we are at risk of getting into actual Casper Council politics here. <laughs> But um, but yes, yeah, saying I don't I'm want to. Stand in their next I don't want a specific LGBTQ advisory committee. I want a committee that everybody can come to because it will be much easier if they're all in one place and I can ignore them. Every, anybody who's got a special interest uh, comment to make, just let them speak and I'll ignore them. What I don't like is he sounds sort of more younger and slightly effeminate compared to uh, our can. Does <laughs> this one? Would you prefer to hear it in there? I would definitely prefer Bicycling pedestrians. <laughs> First of all, it'll be the gays, then it'll be the pets. We'll have to let them all in. <laughs> Who else have we got for nominations for, for villainy? Oh, uh, speaking of pets, uh, Darren England. Yeah. I, I don't know who he's been interfering with, but... Or what? For his reference. England, like a quintessentially English animal. Hedgehog. <laughs> I was going to say bulldog. <laughs> I, could be, I, was thinking of, I was thinking like a little hedgehog in a waistcoat, a little Beatrix his... Potter hedgehog. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe a fox twirling a cane that Darren England's chasing. <laughs> Who else would you like to nominate? Uh, Wigan. Just for being... I don't mind yeah. them. I've no objection to them. They seem like actually a reasonable club, reasonable bunch of fans and stuff. But can they just stop? Can we just stop playing them? You know, we've only beaten them at Elland Road once. Ever in history. <laughs> Is that right? Yeah, Brian McDermott was uh, manager 1-0, one, one but the rest of the time, even that match where Gary Kelly scored yeah, lost, from 30 years, yeah, we drew and then lost on penalties. Yeah, I checked and double-checked and checked again, and I cannot find any other. We've beaten them at their place a couple of times. So we, it's another one like, 
Brentford, where we've not played them frequently, thank fuck, because, uh, yeah, they just, it, there's been a lot of draws so, over the last few years. I was just going to knock it on the head, that one. Yeah, I feel that way. I, f- I mean, yeah, again, my match report, I was kind of like, just, if Marcelo Bielsa can get us promoted, I will accept that, like everybody, he can't beat Wigan at Elland Road. And I would, those two things will be fine. But yeah, if we're going to just fuck off, that will maybe might make life easier well, too. Well, they're heading that way. Uh, who else? Pat Bamford. I suppose I've got to be the one to to put that name out there. Um, just keep your ears, your hands by your sides. Leave those days alone. Celebrate a goal like a normal person. It looked like you were enjoying it. And that was the other... No, I was, in fact, celebrate like that, but do it after you've scored loads of goals. Well, the, no, the other... Let's have the other aspect of villainy for this because if you remember, it was a, it was a glorious comeback. I remember Lee Bowyer against uh, Derby. Mm-hmm. Goes running towards the crowd and everybody's yeah. there in the moment and it's limbs and it's chaos. With this one, it's a great moment, but then in the midst of it, all you're looking at it going, oh, what's Pat doing? I don't care what Pat's doing. It's 3-2. We've just come back from three goals down and he, you know, he's the big spearhead, the part of that. The guy who finished off two of the chances and we said, okay, they were both right under the crossbar but the movement for the winner you know he did very well to get a step behind the defender get in on the cross brilliant cross from Luke Haining and you just want to enjoy the the hysteria of that moment and instead you've got him doing that you don't build statues of people holding their ears do you you do it moments of joy what you're trying to capture in that no one's no one remembers these things fondly unless it's um, everybody who was in the uh, live aid video that's true with the the headphones on big statue that one so that's Pat Bamford for villainy anybody else? Sheffield Wednesday, under-23s, kicking Kev, didn't they? How dare they? Not fair. You should have, they should have known. You should be like one of those kids in PE that you're not allowed to, you're not allowed to tackle in rugby. They did get a bit spiky, the, uh, the owls in this game, didn't they? There, was some, there, were uh, a few, there were a few bad tackles flying in. Yeah, um, and the Leeds players sort of trying to stand up for themselves. There was one, I think it was towards the end, was it Bobby Camwer and uh, one of their players just kept pushing each other in the chest like one after the other, almost like it was a like a silent movie, just like, <laughs> shove. Is that, did you just shove me? Well, I'll shove you back. Don't shove me, I'm going to shove you now. But we won't, we won't throw any punches because that'll get us in trouble. It was Yeah, it's quite well calculated, they both realised. If we just keep pushing each other in the chest, we'll just get told off. Possibly more for the hero section, actually, but I didn't mention it in the under-20. 23s, but the size of Bobby Camwell's thighs ludicrous for a, for what's essentially a child. Mm. I, I don't know. What, I don't know where he's going to go with those. To be honest, a, they, good, a good thigh. I'm not sure they can get any larger. They're, they're absolutely enormous. Anyway, what what would you compare them to in terms of like diameter? Um, like a Parma ham. Yeah, uh, yeah. We go to Spain and they're hanging up in the bar. Mm. Roughly, roughly the size of one of those. Tasty as well. Who else? Mm. Don't eat bits of his legs. Mm. No, I was just Alioski. A Parma ham in Spain. Well, you know, let's not get bogged down. Yeah, Palma, I'm from Spain. It's not, it's from Italy. It's from Parma. Isn't it's Parma as in Mallorca Parma? No. That, that no. Would be with an L, it's, it's with an R. No. You're thinking of is it Serrano, you're thinking Serrano, of. Serrano, I don't know, anyway. You geographical, uncultured oaf. No wonder Brexit's happened with you around. He's Googling Did you, it now you, as you were well. given a vote. You, you were given a vote in that referendum, weren't you? Uh, unfortunately, I was, yeah. Fascist pig. <laughs> right, who else uh, do you want to nominate for, uh, for villainy? Uh, Big Kev. Yeah, get, get fit, score goals. Yeah, and then you won't be a villain anymore. Forty-five minutes without a goal, nice, yeah, disgraceful, <laughs> isn't it? How dare he? Yeah, glad we didn't bring him on. He'd have only stunk out the place. <laughs> <laughs> Turned it on him already. <laughs> Love it. Right, who are we uh, who are we have him for? Pervader didn't score either. No. Yeah, no, he's, he's little, little and cute. And it? how many assists? None, as far as I could tell. No, rubbish. Right, who are we have? Wasn't having? impressed with him against uh, Millwall and Wigan either. No. Nope. <laughs> who are we having for villain? Uh, Darren England. Yeah. 
because I feel like everything that's happened since has kind of uh, overwhelmed how just how bad he was. It's um, 17 uh, decisions that Angus Guinness says he's uh, he's taken to the FA, like Prince with 21 positions in a one-night stand down in England. It was 23, wasn't it? Well, even more. 17 decisions in a, a one-night Millwall Pig, it was a pig's ear, wasn't it? It was a pig's ear. He made a pig's ear of it. <laughs> you think he's uh, he's teaming up with Keith Stroud? But yeah, just not not fucking good enough. And uh, and now we've got Victor and James in trouble because of him. And even Pablo was uh, cruising for a booking and. Pablo's lovely. Angus so. Kinnear covered it quite nicely in his programme notes actually. He said, while most of our feedback to the match official assessors this season has been around interpretation of the rules, some of the decisions against Millwall forced to add simply not paying attention to our list of concerns. <laughs> <laughs> not a bit like a school report, isn't it? <laughs> Needs to concentrate more. All right then, so England's getting that. What about the Andy Hughes Hero Award? It's been a fairly dismal week, so um, Heroes in short supply. Pat Bamford scored two goals. Brilliant player. And as we were saying, the second one, very good movement. Um, of hands to ear <laughs> and a good fit. both hands as well not yeah. just uh, not just one and you know he's uh, who scored our other one it was Pablo wasn't it it was um, yes. uh, deflected um, I was going to say he's the only player who scored but um, I suppose Pablo did get one so Pablo can be a hero as well for scoring a goal which is more than two in a week though. more than Jean-Kevin Augustin has done yes <laughs> one either All right, yeah Pablo it's cancelled off so, <laughs> so Bambo stands alone as our hero for the week Right. Anybody else, Michael? Millwall fans. I, I oddly a stand-up bunch of guys. Well, I, I want. I was watching Stanley some of the, of the some of the stuff they were putting online after the game. Not not the official club stuff, but like some of the YouTube. It's people. the official club stuff where you get all the uh, Galatasaray shirts. Yeah, and, I think uh, so. Yeah, the the throat slitting <laughs> gestures. That's the um, <laughs> Millwall's uh, family stand adverts. Yeah, I watched some of the some of them, hoping for some really angry reaction and some idiotic opinions. I ended up watching it thinking, seem all right then. I mean, there was that one guy Seemed who like was... quite a nice fellas, really. Morbidly obese, so setting a bad example. He, he was, yes. But, you know, I'm choosing not to go the Bielsa route and start fat-shaming people. <laughs> Although we've already we've already called out Jean-Kevin Augustin for his obesity. Who is probably <laughs> in better condition than we will ever, ever be. <laughs> God, <laughs> I look at him and hate him. <laughs> yeah. Um, it's interesting watching the Millwall fans as well. We do get this where they're all like, that's the best team we've ever seen in the Championship. And um, I enjoyed... Paul Cook can have a little um, hero nomination for his pre-match comments. I know he, he went away with the three points, but when he just said, uh, Leeds fans don't need to worry because Leeds are going up. And I think that, you know, that's interesting from a an opposition manager who's seen every team in the division and just goes, yeah, Leeds are going up. They'll be fine. They're, they're brilliant. At least he's got more confidence than we have. He can have a hero nomination. Well, that, I think, I think that's, that's the point I'm trying to get across is we're all absolutely frantically worrying. And then any outsider who comes to Leeds and, and watches a game just goes, fucking hell, they're brilliant, aren't they? So it's, yeah, it's odd. But then we have to nominate all of Leeds United as villains for not getting the results to match that praise. Short field this week then, so is it going to be in the Millwall fans or Pat Bamford? Do you want to give it to the Millwall fans? Do you want that on your conscience? Or after the, the the weeks of strife, turmoil, personal soul searching, and uh, having to have his hands unglued from his earlobes, do we want to make Pat Bamford feel better with a a nomination for hero? What about Victor for trying to rough up a referee? Yeah, it's the best we can because if if England, you yeah, villain, fair enough. I suppose he has signed uh, the two players that we are most excited about for years which we're looking forward to them being rubbish so that we can throw them back in his face it was pointed out as well one of the things that was interesting well two of the things that were interesting in that um, Leeds Live 
interview was they put it in a question. I hadn't thought of it this way. It's like the the last few players you've you've tried to sign. All right, Dan James didn't come off, but nobody knew who he was. Ben White, nobody had even looked at him from any club. And now you've pulled Jean-Kevin Augustine and uh, and he was saying about how with Perveda, we had a look at him a year ago, but we were back of the queue and thought there was no chance that we would ever sign him and got the deal done. So he's he's doing some decent work. And from that interview as well, I, I quite enjoy any man who answers questions like this. The only sure thing in the world is we are going to die. <laughs> So the Phil Hay Show is out later on this week. The Extra Ball available in your podcast player as well. As we speak, we've got Mags, Mugs, merchandise and half-season subscriptions for the fanzine available via the squareball.net. I thought that was a surprisingly calm and with it episode considering what a fairly terrible week we've just endured. We, we won a match. We did win a game, which, you know considering some of the terrible things that we've been through as Leeds fans, I think a, we- a week in which we won a football game. <laughs> Do you know what? It's pretty much all right. I re- as those words left my mouth, I realised I'd completely forgotten that we actually beat Millwall yeah. due to the level of turmoil involved it a, in it. It was a brilliant game. <laughs> like the second half, you know, you, you rarely enjoy that kind of uh, treat at a football, ga- uh, football match. So, you know, we'll be all right. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Square Ball Podcast. We'll speak to you in a bit. The Square Ball Podcast. 